When I was a child, my grandmother, a woman from a Sudanese rural, uneducated farming family, used to tell me long, elaborate tales about the land and property her late husband owned. She would speak about how large their house was, the fortress it was called, because it was the biggest house in the village, and about my grandfather's largesse and business acumen. Her favourite detail, one she repeated often, was how one could not carry a hot drink from one end of the house to the other without it getting cold. While other children were told fairy tales, my sisters and I were fed a diet of hyperbolic stories about the difficulties of navigating a large family estate. In addition to the beverage cooling issues, visitors apparently often lost their way. Children had to be on standby at mealtimes to make the long trip to the kitchen for any requests, and allegedly, guests staying in the house could manage not to run into each other for days. If this sounds implausible to you, then you would be right. Even as a child, the whole unnavigable fortress business seemed to be, above anything else, a highly impractical arrangement. Yet still, I wanted to believe it. When in my teenage years, I finally visited the seat of the Maliks in northern Sudan, the treasures, the land and the fortress, the tea-cooling distances were in fact puny, deserted and crumbling. My grandmother, by now deceased and thus unavailable for interrogation, had lied. I obviously knew on some level that she had embellished her tales, but her fantasies were so removed from the reality, the mud dwellings in which I was standing, that I was angry at her, but also a little angry at myself. I felt like the deluded, greedy treasure hunter carrying a map with an X marking the spot where the birthright jewels are buried, only to find that the rocks in the treasure chest held no precious stones. I was a dunce at the end of a morality tale about pride and gluttony. It should have been obvious to me that there was no Malik loot. Along with my grandmother, we had two uncles and an aunt squatting in our Khartoum house throughout my childhood. Sometimes, when the house was busy, they were forced to sleep in the yard. It was either a non-existent or very illiquid treasure. But after a wave of self-loathing at my own eagerness to believe that I was the descendant of some high-born woman, I felt sorry for her. She had lied, but also in a way, she hadn't. She had spun and then believed her own inventions because she needed to. Her stature severely diminished by her husband's untimely death and his poor economic planning meant that at the age of 25, she was an impoverished widow with five children. The stories had to be woven to sustain her, to create a cushion on which to land as her real status plummeted. All my childhood, I was fed this ancestral myth that still remains fixed for many of my generation of Maliks. It is a sort of private family madness. The story of the tea growing cold is still told by people who were born years after the original fable was made up. It is a fantasy, but a harmless one.